0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is the seventh podcast, the seventh episode of the Concerned Dabs podcast. I am your host, Katie M. Kane. With me is my co-host, Will Terps. Yo, yo. All right. So our guest tonight is Jason Ortiz, who is the vice president of the Minority Cannabis Business Association. Yeah, he's out there in... Is it Connecticut right now?
1: I bet, and spend a good amount of time in Puerto Rico, too. Yeah, he's, he's about that Puerto Rico rebuild. <laughs> I am. Man. Man. He's active. He's active.
0: <laughs> All right. So, Will, I wanted you to uh, try and give a little bit of a to do this weekend, man. You got to work somewhere cool and do some fun stuff far as cannabis industry goes.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh this weekend I attended the homegrown Maine event in Augusta, Maine, um which is basically a home growers convention. Uh super cool venue, super cool setup. Um I was uh working the Dynasty Genetics booth. Um uh, as we we're uh selling seeds, you know, to the to the lovely people of Maine um and yeah it was just uh really good vibes um it was uh definitely a different setting than what I'm used to with like the Oregon events um kind of lately there's been a kind of like you know it's always been there but but more um prominently an ego drive that I've seen at a lot a lot of the events in Oregon you know just kind of uh people you know measuring dick sizes if you will um (laughs) And I didn't get that vibe at all when I was uh, at the home grow uh, home growers convention in Maine. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of people, just modest people, people trying to you know get better at growing, looking for tips, looking for mm-hmm. uh, new genetics. Um, and yeah, it was two two awesome days. Um, Professor P um, also launched his new uh, new project, which is relic seeds, um, kind of like a. Sister company, almost to to Dynasty Genetics. Um, he does both the the breeding and growing, obviously, um, and it's uh, kind of focusing more on like old old school genetics, older world genetics. Um, he's got a lot of skunk and cheese crosses he's working with on relic um, and yeah, on relic, yeah. Um, look that shit up, man. Yeah, Eat and and he's got some like old school G thirteen haze.
0: Mm, um, yummy.
2: yeah so some, some really good stuff he's been working on um so that was cool uh, just a different perspective uh from from a lot of the, the oregon events and and people i've met
0: very cool man i'm a fan of that guy's work um the moose and lobster that was my favorite <laughs> shit that i ran outdoors from yeah there.
2: Absolutely, that's that's what people always ask for in Maine because that's the main strain, you know, moose and lobster. Yeah, yeah. Got, that, got that question probably like thirty times uh, at the this weekend. Like, oh, where's the moose and lobster?
1: So
0: you guys didn't have that. You guys didn't have that on deck this weekend? No, no,
2: we had some uh, uh, two new ones, but they're offshoots of the the moose and lobster, like uh, same parent, just different um, different uh, combinations, I guess.
0: So. Uh, okay, what were they called?
2: Uh, it's limeberry mega and ocelot.
0: Ocelot, that's a cool <laughs> yeah. name. That, what is an ocelot? Like a, ocelot I, just that.
2: I, I don't know honestly.
1: Um, Isn't that
0: that was like a Mac a Mac update was called ocelot? I think <laughs> yeah.
1: it's some kind of animal, right?
0: Yeah, because it was yeah, like yeah. tiger, and then it was like lion, and it was like snow tiger, and then I remember <laughs> ocelot was one of them too. I think. That's awesome, dude. Well, it sounds like you had a good time, man.
2: Definitely, yeah. It was uh, a great time for sure.
0: Cool. All right. So I feel like that's a good enough intro, five minutes. Let's get down to asking Jason some questions. It's a little bit (laughs) late over there. Um, So I kind of already did an intro, but I'd like you to introduce yourself. My first cookie cutter question is, can you please state your name, location, and the company you work for and the work that you do?
1: Sure. So my name is Jason Ortiz. I'm currently in Connecticut, and I don't work for the Minority Campus Business Association, but I do a lot of work for MCBA. And so it is a volunteer basis, uh, but I'm the vice president, and I'm also the chair of the policy committee. And so I oversee all of our decisions and also drafting of model policy or positions that we take on various bills that come out uh, at any level of government. And so I am not a lawyer, but I know how to get lawyers in the room together to draft uh, legislation to help people of color get into the industry. Uh, Because right now, very small percentage of folks are uh, people of color that own actual businesses in the industry. And so we want to increase that number uh, and figure out how we can start to develop our own internal economics to be able to support each other and not necessarily have to rely on the big corporate players to finance everything.
0: Yes, dude. I dig everything that you are saying right now. I am a person of color in this industry, and it was very difficult for me to solicit any sort of investment. Um, So, if Mm -hmm. you have, like, Mm -hmm. any kind of programs that are grant style or anything, like, dude, I really want to check those out, especially if I can um, establish position in a state that isn't as flooded as Oregon is right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I'm digging what you're saying, man. I'm digging it a lot. (laughs) Well, it's
1: easier said than done. You know, I mean, we can say we want to be able to fight Goliath one-on-one, but it is a struggle. And so... We want to make sure we're bringing people together. Like our biggest strength is that the cannabis community as a community is huge and very diverse and has all kinds of different skill sets involved. And so we do have a wide variety of people to pull from to help us out, to get things done. Um, and so that's something that the corporations don't have, right? Like the, the actual culture supports people working together. And so uh, we're fortunate at least that we get to you know bring people together for things like our policy summits that discuss what laws are in our interests. And like, what, what does equity mean to us at this point in time? Uh, at various points in the last few years, that's changed, right? And so um, whether or not HomeGrow is included has been a big issue the last couple of years if we consider HomeGrow part of the equity side of things. Uh, even something as, you know, what I would have thought was definitely part of equity, the community investment part. Some folks feel like it confuses the issue to have them both labeled as equity. So even just coming together to have consensus of like, what do we think these words mean? has uh, been a huge help to building community together so we know what we're fighting for together
0: i agree man every time that there's an update to the laws in oregon whether it's medical or recreational the first thing that they post is the definitions of the terms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely you know like it was really vague there was a lot of gray area to work with when it was medical but now it's it's very, very specific and yeah. I'm sure caused a lot of extractors uh, problems, yeah. you know what I and, mean? And the difference like...
1: in a couple words can change the whole bill, right? Like something is may or versus shall, right? Like that could be a yes. big difference. They say you may invest in our you know, communities versus shall. That's a huge difference in the law um, that you know, quite frankly, our organizations would probably pull out their support for a bill just based on that one word, you know, because yeah. it's whether or not we are going to Hold the government and industry accountable to what the promises they make or not. Uh, and so we have to make sure that we are actually doing that. <laughs> and that means sometimes you have to withdraw support for shitty laws.
0: Yeah, dude, exactly. So uh, I'm going to skip around a little bit. But so technically, you're like a lobbyist, right?
1: So it's a little complicated. Technically, no, I'm not a lobbyist because I don't get paid to lobby. Uh, (laughs) And so if I I was making more money doing it, then yes, technically. So I'm a citizen lobbyist. And so being a lobbyist is a very technical thing. And so you have to disclose what types of funding you're getting, what bills you're working on. And that is a whole other complicated world. But What I do, I'm a grassroots community organizer is really what I am. And so it just happens to be we spend time in capitals pressuring uh, elected officials, which is lobbying. Um, And so but I don't have to wear a little badge. I don't have to disclose my finances or anything like that. I just need to turn up the heat whenever I can as much as possible to get folks to do something. Uh, and so it's more work outside of the capital than it really is inside the capital, and there's a big difference between myself and a lobbyist. Uh, but I do find myself lobbying frequently, right? If you go and just yeah. lobby folks in D.C., for instance, you're lobbying you know, like for the for
0: the good guys, for for the right <laughs> <laughs> reasons, yes, dude. Yeah. Like that's uh, yeah, that's absolutely. why I dig your approach. You're you're doing it because you believe in it because mm-hmm. it's righteous. Mm-hmm.
1: And and because I was arrested, quite frankly, right? So, like, well, you know, how I got pulled into the drug policy movement was when I was 16, I was arrested for smoking weed on the way to school and got suspended for 45 school days and had to go through this whole big court process. And I was only 16 years old. And so I didn't really know what was happening or what all this was about. But I had... 45 days off of school to do, you know, what you probably would imagine a 16 year old would do. I smoked a lot of weed and went on the internet and looked yeah. up the laws of everything that was just affecting me. And so that's when I learned about the war on drugs, the school to prison pipeline, and things like selective forced, uh, where not everybody gets punished equally for certain laws. Uh, and it may not be that the law is uh, poorly written or just the folks that are implementing the laws have their own biases. And so learning that I was getting caught up in this bigger uh, war on drugs uh, enlightened me to, you know, not all laws are just, you know, not all laws are made with good Um, but all laws can be changed. And so we, you know, that, that experience kind of put me into the activist, lobbyist, organizer role.
0: Dude, same thing, man. I, I got a felony possession of marijuana charge senior year of college. And it's like. I was still allowed yeah. to graduate, but I still had to sit 30 days in jail after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that charge still pops up when you search my name on a computer. So as far as corporate jobs go mm-hmm. with a degree or anything like that, wasn't real for me. And so mm-hmm. I got to wear mm-hmm. that shit on my sleeve, too. It's like, yeah, I'm a weed guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can tell you a whole lot about it and the industry and everything. So that's what makes me kind of activist too dude is like Mm -hmm. well yeah and that's why I should be treated that way just for weed you know
1: right right right, for a plant right for a dried plant and so you know that's why MCBA exists and so one you know misconception about equity is actually that it's generally race-based and it's actually usually not race-based and so it's more whether you've had an interaction with the criminal justice system or you've been in an area that was over police, and that actually tends to be more about class and money um, than just race, but of course race plays a part of it. And so we believe as MCBA, and also I, the Connecticut chapter, the Connecticut group I'm working with is Cure Connecticut United for Reform and Equity, and you know we say anyone that has been impacted by the criminal justice system related to cannabis should qualify as an equity applicant. And so we think that because we're admitting that the government did something wrong and like really wrong and they need to make it better, that the way that we can do that is by, you know, investing in entrepreneurship and community investment for folks that have been impacted. And that could be interested in your white, black, brown, male, female, whatever it may be. You should get uh, the front to the front of the line for these licenses, because as we're seeing it, it's the big corporations that are trying to block everybody else out and say, oh, only if you're already a business owner can you get a new business, a rec business, which is ridiculous. But that's what's happening all over the country. And so we say, no, 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 no not so fast. Like, actually, we want all of our communities included in an economic boom that you're creating right now. And it's, it's, you know, it's very upsetting that some people would actually be for legalization, but not if we help people that got arrested before. And so they're happy to make it a billion dollars for someone who already has a billion dollars, but for the dude that got arrested for a 20 bag and is in jail right now, n- not that guy, that guy shouldn't be able to make any money, you know? And so it's, it's yes. wild, you know, how this is playing out and we have to make sure that as a community, uh you know we slow it down to the point where we're included in the process, and there's been a lot of bills pushed that you know folks might say are narrow right right and it's a, yeah. by narrow they mean only including their friends and you know narrowing out us, and so that's becoming up quite a bit also,
0: yeah, dude, uh barriers to entry, you know like. Right.
1: Absolutely. I mean, governments are deciding that they're just going to make the fees, $75,000 non-refundable deposit, plus you need a million dollars in the bank, right? Like, that's just a choice they're making to exclude 99% of the population.
0: Yeah, dude. It, it Man, serious. And then the whole banking thing, too, mm-hmm. is like, even if you have, you're a person of color and you have impeccable credit, you pay your bills <laughs> on time. So right. you make, you make $45,000, 50000 a year, you yeah. still can't go employ you can't go and apply for a business loan no. to start no. a cannabis. And not, and not like, no you know, a
1: manufacturing license of cannabis, right? I mean, like, or anything. If I was going to try to buy a property and produce chocolate bars, it'd be pretty difficult for me to do that.
0: Yeah. and Like, dude, I'm telling you, like, in 2015, 2016, I was, if I could apply for a loan, I would have. But I was trying to meet <laughs> any any millionaire who wanted to sit down with me for 10 minutes, I had my little... Spiral notebook with all my spreadsheets and and every, it just was really difficult. Um, <laughs> it was it was hard to make that happen. It would have been a lot easier, I feel, to get a, a regular loan like the one I got for going to college or or anything like that. But it's barrier to entry, man. Like you can't.
1: Yeah. and it's on purpose. You know, yeah. That, it is, I mean, that it happens in other industries too, where they do make it more difficult on purpose to keep out competition. And so, you know, it's, it you know, ca- legalization isn't going to make capitalism disappear, right? And so, like, it is still being legalized into a capitalist society. So all the same pressures that we see in every other industry are going to apply to cannabis as well. It's just the, the, the community and the culture attached to cannabis is different, you know, than a lot of other industries. It is a group that has been brought together through oppression, right? Like, we empathize with each other because we've gone through struggles. And that's not the same in every other industry, but some it is, right? Like farmers definitely have had, you know, mutual struggles and have had to figure out things over the years, you know, various centuries throughout time. And so there are similar situations, but, you know, we're the one that's really changing society right now and figuring out how to do it. And it's a little different. Like, yes, food is very, very important, but, uh, m- helping your mental health as a society is, uh, dramatic how it will change things uh once we end prohibition on, you know self-medication essentially
0: yeah no doubt okay so uh my next cookie cutter question uh it says i checked out your guys's website the minority cannabis business association can mm-hmm. you say that you are i was minority cannabis business or minoritycannabis.org, Is that what it was?
1: Minoritycannabis.org is the website. Yep.
0: Okay. So if anybody's listening right now, you can go and check that out. Minority mm-hmm. cannabis. Minority org. Yep. Um, on one of the links, it, it had a, a list of your guys's various outreach techniques. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that for a minute? Like some of the stuff that you guys do to reach the community?
1: Sure. I mean, there's been a lot of different things over the years. And so I'll say, you know, we have a working board. So a lot of our, projects and programs uh, usually come through a board member that wants to take on a big role for something and then works with one of our member partners to make it bigger and better. Um, And so, I mean, we've done expungement events. We've done opportunity summits where we had one in Denver that brought different business owners in to basically explain like how they got started and what they think folks can learn from what they've done so far. Uh, And then we also, you know, have a number of policy summits, which is one of the programs that I run. That from various activists and legal backgrounds to come together to talk about what they think is in our best interests. Uh, and then we've just held a number of you know networking events all across the country. We're present in numerous uh, conferences in different areas. Like we've most recently participated in the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists Conference, and that was amazing. And so to be able to get in some of these spaces that aren't cannabis-specific and be uh, the person that, you know, Talks about cannabis in a rational way for the first time.
0: Yeah, man. It's been
1: very helpful. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, 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 there was, there was some real conversations that needed to be had with journalists because, you know, journalists like to sensationalize the the topic. And it's kind of funny because they had a very specific question about green, the strain, green crack. And like, yeah. what is this? And like, what are you guys doing? Like, is this a new type of drug that you guys are creating? It's like, nah it's just a strain. It's a really good sativa, actually. But yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, they Daytime still had a little smoke. bit of that kind of. Uh, fear, right, about the plant, but it, it was in a space that we could talk about it honestly, and I think they were very interested by the end of the day. So it was a good, you know, combination of groups coming together to talk about cannabis. And so and so we've done a lot of, there's the educational side of it, there's the policy side of it, and then, you know, we also, we need to organize more of these, but we've done a number of medical summits where we try to get patients to come in, get diagnosed, and see what uh, cannabis would be, what type of cannabis would help them the most uh, and so we have a number of doctors on staff on our board uh, actually Dr. Rachel Knox who's out in Oregon uh, is on our board and she's fantastic and so awesome, you know we, we, yeah yeah she's great and she's just, she's actually gonna have a really important
0: TED talk about homeostasis and
1: the endocannabinoid system coming out pretty cool pretty soon. Oh, what, so, man,
0: can, can you please send us that link so we can share it on our <laughs> yeah, social absolutely, media too? For sure.
1: <laughs> yeah yep. and so and you know you know I was in Puerto Rico not too long ago and so we held a big networking event there that ended up with a party on the beach because it's Puerto Rico So yeah you know, it's everything from very legal legal work to networking on the beach in Puerto Rico and so we want to keep it as diverse as we can um, but it really is you know when, when folks join MCBA they can take initiative on a different project and we can make it great and so I think that's been so far OBA can make the flame a little bigger for you
0: awesome dude so you were able to uh are they going medical in puerto rico or something you were you were talking about weed down there too
1: so they already have medical in Puerto Rico. There's actually more cannabis opportunity in Puerto Rico than there is in Connecticut. And so I'm going to be working on getting a cultivation and manufacturing license in Puerto Rico. Oh, they dude, have bro, about 30, bro. You, you,
0: man, I want to get down, bro. Can I send you my resume? Like, yeah, Absolutely, shit.
1: yes, yes. I mean, I got to go get the land first. but That's the next step is to find the location. And so, you know... Bro. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Dude, Puerto I'm, I'm, Rico is open and right? they too. want folks to come.
0: That's tight, bro. Yeah. Because yeah. everything, everything more or less got leveled by the hurricane. Right. So they need new businesses to come and start up or something.
1: Correct. I mean, you know, it was not in a great shape before the hurricane happened and there's a lot of political issues of being a colony and what that means for your economic development. And so I have political reasons why I want to, to the island and help organize there. Um, but one of the only industries that is growing after the hurricane is the cannabis industry. And so there's 30,000 patients in Puerto Rico, but they also have reciprocity, which means that any patient from another state can use their card in PR to get medicine. No um, way! You, so can, you with-
0: can grab from a store too uh
1: no i mean you still have to go to a dispensary
0: like a, no, that uh, that's what i meant that's uh, what i meant though like if i go to if i go to puerto rico yeah. with my arizona medical card yep. i can go to a yep. dispensary in puerto yes. rico and get medicine yep yep dude and, that's and buy it instantly yep and so we arizona.
1: have a country that has so much tourism right like
0: yeah it's a
1: huge market <laughs> Like there's it, gonna it be more patients that come through tourism that live on the island and yeah, so it, could- it, It's 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 awesome. (laughs) I mean, like the cultivators run out of products all the time. And so it's a place I want to be. I want to get down, Jason. (laughs) Hey, I mean, that's that's it's what we should all be trying to do. Right. Is like go back to our homelands and and grab some of that land from back from the corporations and, and employ people to do good work and so everywhere you are that's what i would you know tell you to do one way or another i think you know cultivation versus manufacturing versus retail is its own conversation but you know there ain't nothing wrong with going and making sure that the cannabis that's grown in your homeland is grown by you know your homies and not some random corporation from canada or something and
0: and and with righteous methods too without spraying a bunch of chemicals that are going to harm people yeah (laughs) right right,
1: exactly he probably has shitty weed like he does he definitely grows mids he probably grows a whole room of fucking like train wreck or something you know Uh, yeah yeah yeah, exactly so i i don't like it i mean that's what drove me to start growing you know on a personal level was just like i didn't have the stuff I was looking for, and so like I'm a very sativa centric, and so I enjoy indicas at parties, but I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I can't be smoking indicas all day. But yeah, no, so, definitely. so you know, on the market is a lot of indicas in the in the black market, and so I had to figure out what I was gonna do to get you know my hazes and my diesels that I needed to to get shit done. And so yeah. you know, that I that's what be. I think we should be doing. We, whenever folks get in the industry, right, is like. Go back, grab a piece of the pie, so that your people uh, will get their foot in the door in the industry, and then, you know, at that point, it's about advocacy and growing the industry as a whole to be able to provide more good for more people.
0: Yeah, well, because I'm I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and mm. Arizona also reciprocates other states' medical cards, but mm. you can't, but you cannot go to a dispensary and grab medicine. You can possess. Like you can fly in with and oh, the limit hmm. the limit is two and a half ounces. so it's like you can fly in with two and a half yeah. zips and get pulled over as long as you got your card from whatever state you're from. It's cool. but uh, oh. so they, they won't let but us. They won't.
1: They here. won't let you. That that seems like it's unfortunate for your cannabis industry. Yeah. yeah. That, so.
0: Well, because well, it's <laughs> forcing
1: I've, folks to buy it outside. You know, exactly,
0: dude. That's my problem. That's yeah. my problem. Is like, come on, man. Like, you guys got to let us grow our own too. Like,
1: right, by, right. Yeah. Honestly,
0: when I go to the stores out here, there's, it's just not the same as Oregon. <laughs> the, the, the The quality of the product is not for the sure. same. Man. The the level of knowledge in the staff is not the same, and I nah. feel like I feel like that's the difference, man. Is people are, aren't allowed to cultivate down here. If mm-hmm. every patient, it doesn't matter. Like you can, I, I tell people, ain't nothing to it but to do it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's dirt, yeah. water, and light. You're 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 growing a plant. That's it. You're gonna either grow it really good or it's really bad or somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah well I mean because you could buy clones in Oregon from pretty much Mm. every store that I worked at we had clones on the shelf so any patient could come in and buy their Mm. own go and grow them themselves and I feel like I feel like that um it makes people read more into the the research of how to cultivate and I feel like that just makes the, the market better and the products better and I feel like that's the difference in Oregon man like everybody is really um, safety oriented mm. you know um, the the organic and no-till indoor movement and everything in Oregon and Washington I, I haven't really seen it the same in other states so I feel like that's the difference is if people are allowed to that's where they'll gravitate towards you know
1: yeah for sure I mean yeah, we're doing it all indoor now too like all the states that come online like we're not using the sun <laughs> which which changes you know what we need to do and facilities and you know, we have like facilities trying to put solar panels on the roof to power lights for an indoor grow and we could just put stuff outside. And so yeah, like there's all kinds of
2: Yeah, let's also not forget that Oregon, going back to that, opened at the last second opened the floodgates to uh out of staters, you know, people um, you know, they were gonna keep it to only residents of Oregon, you know, getting the first crack at recreational licenses, mm-hmm. and then at the last mm-hmm. second they they open the floodgates to anyone. And yep. you know, Project like you saying earlier, that just yeah. yeah, that just allows your fucking Chad and Brads to come in yep. tenfold and fucking mm-hmm. you flood know the market, flood the market exactly, and it's just super disappointing I mean, that. Yeah. They, you know, see, seemingly
1: like Oregon was going to do it the correct way and then the last second. Was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. so i always worried about bills, man, because you can have the best bill ever, but then at the last minute they put some amendment on it. Yeah. Oh, no, they got all the good stuff. Everywhere it says good, just put bad in, and then we'll pass that instead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Fucking well, A, I mean, you know, it's the corporate model, though, right? So it's like also like Walmarts and things will come in create a big amount of product, drop prices, put everybody else out of business and then bring the prices back up again. And so, you know, this is a, a something that happens all the time. And so, folks, we saw it coming, you know, some of us saw it coming that folks were going that the corporations were going to do this. And so we're trying right. to put some kind of protections, you know, slow it down a little bit. Uh, in order to let people that are currently doing it have a real opportunity here and not just you know mcdonald's and jim beam and so like we have these huge corporations like uh, canopy and acreage and i believe it's acreage i sometimes get them mixed up is like 30 percent owned by the jim beam family and so it's like it's it's really hard in oregon to pee with the alcohol distribution cartel that we have now in producing cannabis if they can just drop millions of dollars and lose it because they they can invest hundreds of millions and lose all of it if they know that it's going to put all the small growers out of business because it's a bigger number down the road. We can't compete with that, right? And so we have to keep them out (laughs) or limit how much they can grow, right? Because if you're going to be from out of state, I will tell them 1,000 square feet. Max, yeah right? like <laughs> you know and so there's there's ways to do it right there's policy ways to ensure everybody gets a piece of it and gets their foot in the door and so what's really frustrating to me is the legislators that claim we just don't know how to do things right When we definitely know how to do it. every issue that has come up with cannabis the cannabis community has a solid answer to
0: and Hell so yeah, sticking dude. our
1: head in the sand approach that is so frustrating because they can't even have an honest conversation about things because they they don't want to know how to do
0: it. Yeah. and that's where
1: the, they're at in the, a lot of legislatures uh is that the reps writing on the walls but don't want to be the ones to i don't know like put their name on progress i guess i don't know yeah uh, a tough conversation right because on one hand you have millionaires that bottleneck the industry for their own benefit and on the other hand you have you know, folks that are just still in reefer madness mode. And, you know, somehow the legislators find a way to get the worst of both of those worlds uh, onto their positions.
0: Yeah, dude, man, what you're saying is so on point, dude. Like, It's (laughs) it's totally like that. I've been mad about
1: it for a long time. Well, well, bro,
0: (laughs) just moving to Arizona, it's like, yeah, it's medical, but it's still a red state, bro. Yeah. You know what i like? Like if Mm -hmm. I... Like, neighbors still call the cops on you for <laughs> right, You know right. what I mean? I'm just like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, there's, you're not being bothered. Like, yeah, you can, <laughs>
1: right, that. right. You can also, yeah, your neighbor's I mean...
0: cigarette burning, you know? Like, it's not, I don't understand. <laughs> it makes me mad too, Jason. It makes me mad too. <laughs> exactly.
1: Good, good. It should, it should make everyone mad. It yeah. should get us to go out there and kick ass and keep fighting because we're not there yet, you know? Like, we are clearly making progress and, you know, public opinion has shifted. And while there are those people that will still call the cops on for smoking weed on your porch, most people won't, you know, and especially most young folks, it's kind of beyond it really being an issue. And so every year, you know, the younger people get older and older people die off and we get closer to having a better world. And so we just got to.
0: I, I agree. Yeah. You know, Keep, keep pushing and like, make sure man. folks
1: that care, you know, are putting themselves in, in decision making positions like as these older to retire, somebody's got to fill those roles. And it should be folks that understand that prohibition doesn't work and how yes. to fix it. And so yeah. I I hope that all the cannabis entrepreneurs and activists, you know, that are watching this, consider running for office, consider drafting your own laws, um, creating organizations to help people run or, or oppose people or just attack. You can also just take people out, uh, which is a fun part of politics. But little, yeah. I, I uh, like shitting on people I don't like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Here's and, why. Uh,
1: professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. you know, this, this person didn't, um, vote for cannabis, but he denied our community's economic development. And I have a plan, right? I think the one, big strong point for our community is that we actually do have a very concrete plan for how to bring both tax revenue and jobs to communities. Right? Like yeah. very specifically. And most candidates don't. <laughs> like most candidates will say not they can all. do things, yeah. but they really Fucking don't. A, so, yeah. And the thing with the war on drugs, but it's not even just uh economic development, right? It's criminal justice reform. It's mental health and, and medical um, uh, reducing costs for our medical costs, right? So like if you legalize opiate use, not even addiction, but just use through the, for the elderly drops significantly. And that actually will save our insurance companies, like our insurance premiums money as a state. So if you can imagine, right, a state that has... 100,000 public sector workers, their costs for healthcare as a total group are, are dramatic. And so reducing yeah, that by man. 10 or 20%, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. And so that millions and millions of dollars means we could be hiring teachers and building schools or fixing our roads or putting people to work for various things. And so making sure we're not just talking about it in the cents in of pennies, but also what do those pennies mean for our community? Because that's where people will be able to see better how cannabis benefits them. That it's not just people get to smoke, but our society will be safer. Our communities will be more likely to uh, want to work together and neighbors not calling the cops on people, right? Uh, yeah. Once we get past this. And so, so, you know, there's lots of reasons to do it. And I, I'm preaching in the choir, of course, but I think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for anyone that's currently involved, both to get in the industry for sure, but also in the advocacy world. Uh, to help us design the laws we need to make sure that we can be
0: a part of it. Yeah. So I, I want to uh, change the conversation to uh, mm-hmm. Colorado for a second. I, okay. I posted an article that uh, some sort of community recreational center. that has got like mm-hmm. basketball mm-hmm. courts and swimming pool and, and all that stuff um, just off of cannabis revenue.
1: Yep, they also invested a ton of money to help the
0: car out too. And so I thought that was super cool, but (laughs) I also, pertaining to regulation, um, I posted an article maybe like a week ago on the Concerned Devs Facebook profile. Uh, Mm -hmm. Denver, and it wasn't just Denver, it was like throughout the whole state, they did a shit ton of raids. Um, yeah, on, okay. on, on so, unlicensed uh, growers, you know no, what I mean. Man, and when I'm I posted the article, I stuff. was like, I was like, I thought that the voters said that this was a waste of budget. Like, I can imagine that, it, and it was like, I want to say, three figures, like in the hundreds of people that they raided, and took took all their shit, and yep. you know what I mean, gave them charges. Yep. So I'm like, dude, that's expensive as fuck. You know what I mean? Like all of the cops that got sent there. They're probably getting hazard pay, you know, like we're gonna break in, take all this guy's shit. Um, the jailers, the people at the courthouse, the judge, like all of that is gonna drag out and I wanna see what the cost is of that in comparison and the millions of dollars for because they did it all in like one day, or maybe it was like a week, but they just rated it. <coughs> who was growing out their house and didn't have a license or something. And that that also pertains to, I want people to be able to grow their own, man. Like, it's messed up that they did that. People are still going to jail for it when your state was the first to legalize it recreationally, you know? Like, what the fuck?
1: Well, so this is where, you know, definitions of words get really important. Because really what happened is we legalized it for some people. Uh, And so the raids that are happening in Colorado are a... Uh, window into a very bizarre world that we're, getting into. we're going to be using its enforcement mechanisms to take out black market growers as licensed growers are making millions and billions of dollars doing the same thing. And so, yes, we would do that if it was alcohol too, right? But we don't. <laughs> like, we well, don't have. Well, you can brew your own beer. Our-
0: we- oh. Will said but- took a class a couple weeks ago on how to make beer. You know what I mean? Like you can make. Yeah, beer yeah.
2: Out your house. People make beer all the time. There's no. But when's the last time you heard a fucking raid on a homebrew operation <laughs> right yeah. a homebrew?
1: never right like yeah. come on and so yeah. so so now okay it, like cause to me it's very sinister because people are the corporations are using millions of dollars to lobby against home grow and then once legalization passes they're using the state troopers and the state cops to take out their competition right Jeez. and so like Ooh. this is Bad news, man. Like So now, people that are currently growing, if you didn't pay up a million dollars for your license or to bribe a politician, now, not only like were you already at risk, but now your competition is going to tell them they're home growing over there, right? Because their yeah. competition, it's their money now. Um, it's not the same thing as if it was just a street situation, right? Where it's just a different sort of situation. Um, but it is going to keep keep happening, they're going to bring in the they made promises when they legalized to eliminate the black market right, and so this is why MCBA tends to not demonize the black market and it's no. not about eliminating the black market right, because the black market means like people with browner skin market yeah, uh, dude, you know, we, we couldn't have, yeah. we couldn't
0: afford the license, man but I got a cousin who stays two states over, you know, like well, <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: well, and and like it's, yeah, and they made it where we couldn't afford the license on purpose, and so yes. you see how it's gonna play out, right, yeah. is is it's not good, man. And so I agree, like homegrown is in there because of that. Um, to be clear, though, the folks that were in a lot of those raids were had way beyond number of homegrown level plants uh, yeah. that they were growing, like way beyond, <laughs> and yeah. so you know, but still we can't be calling things legalization if we're still putting people in jail, right? I,
0: like, I, I, I want to
1: know how many yeah. people have gone to jail, for legal basil trading, right? Like I'm yeah. sure not every person that grows basil out there has the license at the farmer. And you know, it's just, that's, it's not what, it, this is not what we do in society. We don't generally use the criminal justice system over licensing issues when it comes to produce uh and so, <laughs> well, like that's, so that's
0: my issue um, with the whole concept too is like plant limit like we're supposed to like how many yep. cases of beer can you possess <laughs> you, could, you can you can buy, you as can buy enough, as you enough fucking want.
1: to kill a neighborhood
0: in yeah lungs, you, know, you, can. you can fill up your whole truck fill up your sure. whole van we don't we don't care sure. buy as much as sure. you want but yep. if you got weed plants <laughs> you have four yeah you know, like, yeah. that's...
1: But but this is the thing. When we're talking about regulation, right, because it comes up every time and every act to deal with this, you know, does a bill have to be before you'll support it or oppose it? And so, for instance, if a bill said, we're going to let everybody out of prison right now for cannabis, but there's no home grow, like, would you support it?
0: Fuck. I don't think I would.
1: I would. I would let the people out of prison. I think, you know, the the impact of incarceration right is like so uh but but, if those, guys, <laughs> but
0: if, that, if those guys can't come home and feed themselves you know what i mean then that you know like but it's still better than being in jail I mean, yeah, it's it it really... to
2: say that everyone they got busted to would want to immediately jump back into yeah
1: you know, okay. right?
2: fair enough guys fair enough
1: yeah and i you know i i think you know Everyone would rather have the change, you know, no matter what, situa- what situation you're in. Um, and there, and in the reentry question, right, is the other piece of it. And so, what service, what support are we doing for those folks that are coming out? Uh, and so, the bills get really complicated. So, in Connecticut, we had sort of a three-way weird situation where there was three different bills that went through three different committees. One went through general law to businesses and so that's where license uh what kind of commission are we going to create to decide everything all that kind of good stuff the second bill was the, the judiciary committee had a criminal justice bill to talk about expungements and letting people out of prison and what criminal justice changes were going to be in the league so the third one community reinvestment bill through the finance committee that also dealt with taxation and so we liked some pieces of some of the bills and we liked some pieces of the other ones and it was bit of a soup of different things but the criminal justice piece was really weak and so it was still going to be an arrestable offense over two ounces and it was like why we can't call that a legalization bill if you're still going to arrest people for basically nothing yeah so it had this weird like so how is an officer going to be able to know the difference between a half an ounce and two ounces
0: and four
1: ounces because like the depending
0: on the strain too dude Uh, uh, like two ounces of cookies will look like a fucking half ounce of sour diesel. Like (laughs) it just just fucking will, man. You know what I mean?
2: That's that's how it
0: looks in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. They're
2: just, they're fine. You know, it's like finding new ways to, Mm. to incarcerate people too. You know, I I think I could be, uh, I could be wrong, but I think in Washington, if you're caught with any amount over your legal limit, it's automatically a felony. Or, or I think maybe <laughs> if, if you're under 21 and you're mm-hmm. caught with, right, you know, yeah. it, it's a felony. And, yep. you know, so it's like they they immediately escalated the penalty, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're going to have legalization, but we're going to make it like twice as bad now if you're 18 years old and caught with it.
0: Yep. And it's just yep. like
2: kind of reworking ways to uh, disproportionately uh, continue to incarcerate people of color. Yep, I agree, yeah, Will. I mean, look like what man. happened in
1: New York, right? So, New York City had decriminalized it like in the 70s. But what happened later on with the Rockefeller laws, is they started. Stop and frisk. The, the, yeah, right? And so they started doing stop and frisk. Oh, what's this? This is weed. Take it out of your pocket. They take it out. Oh, now it's in public. Now you're arrested. And yep. so, it, it's so in Connecticut. And this is where, again, like, now the, the problem I have now. Is that it's the industry, the people profiting from it, that are wanting to increase the, the penalties as well, not just law enforcement. I mean, law enforcement is profiting from it, but in a very perverse way. Like this is a very like you can see the bottom line here. So in Connecticut, one of the things they tried to put in here, which is another reason we couldn't really support and push that hard this year, was that if if you got caught with marijuana under a certain amount, it wasn't illegal only if you bought it in a dispensary wow, so dude. you had to have like it in the jar and so if i bought it or i just had it in a bag and couldn't prove it from a dispensary it was still illegal and we're like wow i wonder who wrote that part of the law it must have yeah. been the that i want to make sure that comes from them so now we can like see the, the the way the language changes now There's corporate cannabis lobbyists in the mess
0: Damn dude. <laughs> like it is, yeah. man. Like I, I agree. Like um I it just to me it's messed up if, if people are still going to jail for weed in a legal state. hmm mm-hmm. It's it's it's
2: gotten bad and as of recent in New England too. They started and I'm sure they've been doing this with, you know, predominantly people of color, but they're they're dating people to the to states mm-hmm. who have uh, you know, not as progressive cannabis laws um to, to catch them and try and catch them at a worse offense um yes. you know for example mm-hmm. it's it's legal in mass it's legal in maine um but connecticut rhode island new hampshire mm-hmm. if you don't have a medical yeah. card it's yep. there's some serious offenses for it mm-hmm. and what they've been trying to do is you know they don't they they try and go for the full blow and it's like well well let's Let's get this guy to come down to Connecticut or Rhode Island or up to New Hampshire and let's, let's bust him here so we can get him twice as bad.
1: Yep. So like in Connecticut distribution. So the whole thing about like only decriminalizing possession drives me nuts because it's about distribution. Intent to sell and cultivation are economic crimes, right? And so when we're talking about, we're going to allow you to, to or we're not going to allow you to produce it, Right. Like it's a very uh, sinister economic system they're trying to create there. And in Connecticut, it's still five years mandatory minimum for selling cannabis in the wrong place. Right. And it can be upwards of 10 years mandatory minimum, depending on how much it is. And so the difference between that, right, like uh, Holyoke, Massachusetts is like not even an hour from from where I am here in our Again. that's where i'm at right that. that's where i'm broadcasting oh, really? from right now <laughs> See, you're i'm literally in holyoke massachusetts like, criminal justice world in holyoke massachusetts Then in connecticut <laughs> yep.
2: yeah yeah yep.
1: that's crazy bag, like, it's it's a whole different thing if you were to come here and give mm-hmm. me a bag you'd be going away from the same bag same exchange
2: Yep. crazy
1: it's yep, crazy yeah and that i mean you know we have a federal system and there's pros and cons to that but And the thing is that states like Connecticut are going to be the ones to lose out because we're going to leave, right? Like, it's it's not an an insignificant thing to not, right? Like, that is a big deal. Like, me thinking about work, and I'm pretty public about it at this point, but, like, all the different times where if somebody wanted to be an asshole about it, they could in Connecticut, that they just wouldn't be able to do the same thing in California or Massachusetts. So that's, you know, that's a big difference in, in lifestyle. So it's not lost on a lot of the young people in Connecticut that are leaving constantly. Uh and so, you know, I and we we're seeing Colorado is booming, Co- population is growing. It's no joke. And yeah, I mean it's unfortunate, but Connecticut states, right? I mean, think they, they want those damn kids off their lawn here in Connecticut. <laughs> and so the kids are gonna go where the grass is greener. And Look right now, they, man. Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty Good of other analogy. states now.
2: <laughs> I agree I agree. Another shitty thing too with the the prosecution side is that um as I read I read somewhere a while ago but I'm sure it holds still holds true is uh you no know, police officers much prefer to um try and go after cannabis offenses, you know, at, compared to like meth offenses, people using crack, cocaine okay, cuz it's just like you know they don't they don't like to it's deal easier. with like you know someone super like fucked up high. Yeah, on death, you know yeah. that. and they, they it's easy yeah exactly you know mm-hmm. it's like oh let's get some some kids or someone smoking we it's fun and it's shitty that 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 kind of mentality is something that i'm sure happens
1: across the board
0: right? oh yeah definitely it's bullying it, it, yeah. bullying man
1: mhm I mean, so the role of police in society is to be a bully. So if yeah, you yep. want to be a police officer, you're probably going to be somebody that had bullying tendencies, and yeah. now you want to do it professionally. Uh, and so, yeah, help you. <laughs> like, just so, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not giving legal advice, but the truth is, the police are never there to help you. They're there to arrest people, right? Yep. And that is what their role is. And so, if if arresting people uh, makes the situation safer, they'll do that. If arresting people makes the situation not as safe, they'll do that too. Uh, they'll do whatever they need to uh, to keep their job. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so it's unfortunate, but that's what we have done to police in this country. I mean, you know, it's, police have never been a great institution from the beginning, uh, but we definitely now have given them so much power that they feel very invincible and above the law themselves. And so when you put people with bullying tendencies in a place where they will not themselves be held accountable, you know, guaranteeing a lot of our communities are going to have a bad time at least just by the way we shape who and what they are in society.
0: I agree, dude, man, so much. Yes, Jason. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, I, I want to try and go for at least an hour, a little bit longer if you can. I just want to mm-hmm. um, share with anybody who's listening live. If you guys want to call in and ask any questions of Jason Ortiz, call in. One eight hundred number is one eight three three seven 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 three two two seven. That's one eight three three seven seven seven, Dabs.
2: <laughs> nice
0: uh, shout out Pay to extra mitchell. For, <laughs> you know, mitchell mitchell hooked it up shout out to mitchell, mitchell wilson he's over there in the production booth there all it down he's the one who picked that so, <laughs> real, i saw him cool snacking cat. on
1: some pizza earlier yeah, <laughs> he's, 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 he's man
0: that's my homie man i love that guy Um one, one thing i wanted to to
2: just comment on earlier is uh earlier you guys um shared some stories of you know, smoke, <laughs> smoking herb and, and, you know, getting caught by, you know, the cops and, and yeah. getting charges and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just the, the point of like white privilege and how people it's, it's very unnoticed in society. You know, it's like, I, I was caught, you know, I got caught back in high school, a uh, hot box in a car, stupidly, right out front of my <laughs> fucking friend's house, right outside. We could have just done it in the backyard. Yeah. But we're like, oh, let's, let's go in the car and hot. And you know, got caught there. And you know, the cop just fucking took our weed and told us, you know, hey, get out of here or whatever. And you know, it's like that one hundred percent would not have happened. You know, if if you know, to a person of color.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's not just on my res, bro. No, rise. no, I mean, it's just. <laughs>
2: it's really unfortunate that you know people don't see that um in everyday life and how it how it shapes things and you know i feel like if if more people you know were had their eyes open to it you know it's kind of hard to unsee it um
1: and yeah yeah i i I agree with that but i think you know there are a lot of uh, Willfully ignorant folks out there. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. definitely. Yeah, definitely. With the information. Yeah, we'll you know, like whatever. It is, you know? So, but I mean, yeah. it's true that different, uh, you know, selective enforcement is real. Different communities are treated very differently. Uh, and it is a matter, like, so, like, bullies pick on the people they think are going to be less likely to defend themselves, right? Yeah. And so that's a big part. It's also why it's really class based, right? A lot of poor folks right. end up right. in prison. And a lot of folks that have serious mental health issues end up in prison, also because they can't really defend themselves in a serious way. And so those, both of those groups, still provide the same amount of money to the private prison, right? And so they know they know how many people they need to keep in to make whatever dollars they promise their shareholders. And so, like those yeah, numbers, get the system. and so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's why, you know, if you're an officer and you have to make X amount of arrests by the end of the month, you don't want to be going into seriously dangerous situations 30 times or 40 times to whatever it is, but you could stop once a week and you'll find somebody, you know, that will add up to whatever it is that you need to do. And so it's unfortunate because it's like so preying on the week and uh, for what? Right, like it's just the 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 thing is terrible every step of the way, and it's what makes it so frustrating that people still want to keep doing it. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. so obviously damaging everybody. Um, middle class family we'll ends up with middle class family. Their kid gets arrested. They're worried about their reputation. So what do they do? Pay a lawyer a lot of money to go make it go away. And so there are families that have, you know, freaked out because they don't want their kids to be barred from college and from getting a job. And so they'll shot a lot of money to make a simple possession charge go away. And you know, that's that mom has to work an extra shift on the weekends now. That dad has to, you know, change how they're going to pay the mortgage in order to just make this thing happen right now. Uh, and so families have been crippled economically just out of the fear what a charge could do to you because it is a real fear it's like it's valid like you should be yeah, worried yeah. because it can ruin you know well a that, lot of that was my thing
0: yeah. dude when i when i got my charge it was my senior year like the first semester so i had to play the game of trying to right, get continuances right. in court. right delay Until i got to that graduate, second yeah. semester yeah and then once mm-hmm. i got my second semester funding it was like in august i pled guilty in september got sensed in october graduated in december and then i went to jail on i think new year's day or something in jail That's ridiculous yeah dude it was yeah. uh, <laughs> it was a bummer man you know and but i i was thankful that i was still able to complete my education but dude it was basically rendered worthless as soon as i you know went to jail and for doing something that in colorado they're doing to the scale of billions of
1: dollars and building yeah. schools with it right <laughs> so yeah. like we're gonna kick kids like in one state. This is this is the world we live in. In one state, they will kick you out of school for possession of cannabis. We're right up the road. This is probably true of Massachusetts and Connecticut, right? In Connecticut, you will get kicked out of school for possession of cannabis. In Massachusetts, they're gonna be building schools with cannabis money. And that is the like most intense hypocrisy of our country, like ever. And yeah, it's wild, oh, man. Like. I'm glad I have cannabis in my life to keep me calm, cool, and collective over it because it's so absurd. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. like, the only thing that keeps it you know, uh, manageable is being able to smoke with other folks that are doing good work and trying to change this ridiculousness.
0: I agree, Jason. Absolutely. Yeah, man.
2: The other thing, too, they're doing now is... Well, they've been, been doing this for a while, but is uh, with the... Um, like. Cannabis is there um they have minutes you know they've, they've been doing a lot of, in a lot of states like okay, yeah you you know it's legal under this amount if you don't have this but if you exceed it and on the second offense or something you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. serve a minimum of 45 days in jail or something right you know, right minimum so there's yep. you know no way that people can avoid <coughs> it. and it, and it's just like you know is this is this what legalization is like? Rewriting laws like this to, to serve this purpose, like, yep. yeah, yep. yeah, and that's
1: and that's the big thing with law, uh. You know, because we can all agree the status quo is untenable, and we do not want the status quo to continue. But what are we willing to give up to in order to get what? Right. And so, if we're too purist about it, it's just going to stay the same, right? Like, unfortunately, in Connecticut, it's just going to be exactly the same just as shitty as it was last year for the next couple of years now because of it. And so, you know, but in Chicago, for instance, like they did fight for a pretty good bill and did make progress. And so they tried to get rid of home grow. Then the advocates fought back. And so now patients have home grow and regular customers. Home grow is just a ticketable offense. And so if you do go over, if you do have cultivation, like under 20 plants or something, like that's a $200 fine.
0: Oh, and so dude. I didn't even so, read up on you know, that. Like, thanks, thanks te- for sharing that, bro. Technically not
1: home-grown 100%, right? But like, really right. Close, that's, man.
0: that's
1: right. workable. Got it, huh? So
0: like so, but, shit, I shit. I got to, here's 200 bucks. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. Fair. Just keep an emergency fund, it's like, it's the, <laughs> yeah. just in case. Like, that's an I'm ounce a week,
1: basically. Like, I, I you know would what mean? accept that deal. You know? Yeah. Definitely. So, Definitely. So that, but that's what, when you're writing legislation or you're working with elected officials, right, it's that dance that determines the whole conversation, right? And so you're going to say at the beginning, this is non-negotiable. This is, you know, I'm, I'm like, I don't really care that much about this. And that's going to set the board as possible. Uh, and so learning and deciding how you're going to push different ways and where you're going to give a little bit here in order to get there is what it's all about and so for mcba we want to draft policies so that the starting point of the conversation is in our and in our field where we're the strongest and so for a long time we were always just saying no to other people's bad bills and but when they say well what would you do instead we didn't have anything to put it in its place and so we would lose that argument every single time I man you can't just do that thing better And so we decided to start drafting model legislation that was from us what would the ideal situation be? What would be the market? If I was president, how would I design the cannabis industry? Right. And start from there. And then as we negotiate, you tell me why no to my ideas then now. Right. And you got to tell me a better idea than the one I did if you tell me no. And yeah, so that dude. changes the conversation completely, right? And so excellent strategy, bro. Right, right. You know, it's one one piece of the strategy, but yeah, but that, you know, it definitely made things uh, a very different conversation. We could have a conversation. I very understand cannabis law better than the legislators that are going to have to write it. And so when you're in that situation and you're having conversations with folks in that way, you become an asset to the, ad, to the like champions, the folks that want to actually make it happen. And you can see your ideas put into law. And so if you were to look at the general law bills, in Connecticut language there's a ton of equity language in there. And there's no doubt about it. We were the ones that made sure it got put in there. Uh, and so we didn't get the bill done, but in Chicago and in Illinois, they did, right. And so they did, they used a lot of our similar language we shared across the It's not MCBA specific. this is just like move. and got it done. There's a 50 million dollar equity fund to provide loans to people that have been impacted by the war on drugs to start businesses. Like that's real in Illinois, that fund is going to exist and change the game because now it's a standard, hopefully going to make it standard for the rest of the country. but that's because advocates fought the home growth thing was because advocates vocally and publicly fought about it and won. So it's not Very always, cool. you know, the right move to give in, but sometimes it is a little bit, right? Like, yeah, yeah we didn't get a perfect home grow, but we got a fifty million dollar equity loan fund. Like, well, deal, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so well, that's what yeah. I think too. I I want to like say my opinion on this too. Like, some sure, sure. I, have, I have a lot of friends online who say, "Man, I don't vote because it doesn't count." Okay, maybe maybe in okay. certain instances for the president, yeah, it doesn't count. But if there's weed legalization on the ballot in your state or your your county, then if you vote yes, that vote counts, man. You know what legal counts in, in the state that I live in, because that's because you're Parker in Massachusetts.
1: Being, you got yeah. ballot
2: measures in Massachusetts. Dude, so. <laughs> right. yeah. and well, I do live in Oregon, actually. but you <laughs> live in
0: Oregon, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Connecticut, it doesn't always feel that way. But I think you know, yeah. you're, you're never just voting president. Whenever you go to vote, there's usually your state reps, your city council people or whatever, uh, also ballot. And so those folks are going to determine a lot of what the laws in your state or neighborhood will be, and so that's right So we we created a statewide bill, a model state bill. We also created a model municipal for a city council, uh, board of selectmen to use. And so anyone in the country can go to minoritycannabis.org and look at municipal ordinance and then bring it to your city council and say, "We want to have cannabis industry in our town. We want to. This is how we should do it." City council some people will, <laughs> and some people will be not so happy with you right and so you'll know very quickly who your supporters on the city council are or not uh, and you can find them and you only need one real champion on your city council to introduce legislation for you and then you get to be the one to determine how your town is going to regulate cannabis businesses in your neighborhood hey we want infinite number of businesses you can say we want only cultivation you can say we want to have only manufacturing or be five retail outlets, and they are all be in this one part of town, or 10 retail outlets are spread out, right? Like, you get to be the person to determine that. And so we always encourage folks to start there, start as local as possible, find folks there. Because if you can get a movement going in one town, that'll spread to the other one. And that's how you'll be able to move big chunks of votes in your legislature if you can have, you know, whole groups of legislators that are now representing cities that have passed ordinances to legalize. Absolutely. How do I get started? <laughs> Take that yeah, yeah. and bring it to your city council meeting and just say the word marijuana five times. Uh, and he'll see who laughs and who gets annoyed. Uh, yeah. And then go talk to the people who smile and there'll be people that are interested in helping you out. Usually. Yeah. And,
0: and, and any listening and is inspired uh, to do exactly what he's saying you can hit up the website minoritycannabis.org and, and they have all the materials right yep. there that you can print it's under out.
1: what we do i think it's what we are what we do is drop downs
0: yeah uh, i i dig the drop down menu bro. <laughs> <laughs> easy yeah. we even left. have okay, uh, we have a number one, of cool yeah. videos that
1: you can go and check out that show the process we're doing it and our most recent press release is translated into spanish so if you oh, want to awesome. get a, a better idea, yeah. So we're actually Jasmine Aguiad from LA, who which, you know shout out to Jasmine, Jasmine, true champ. And uh, is going to be helping us translate the municipal ordinance Spanish.
0: uh oh, And so dude, yeah, so yeah I mean, so I've we never done that. AZ, it. bro, because there's so many Spanish people down here who could really turn the vote on that if they could read the exactly. language. exactly you know exactly and if they
1: can actually read the law it changes their ability to interact with the movement
0: right like it's like
1: i i can't read yeah. a law right like if you ask me to go advocate for a law and the law is in german i can't help you right and so being able to put laws in the people the languages that people actually speak is super important and so that's what having latinos and folks that speak spanish and the movement is so important is they can open the doors to the entire community and and so you know, I was recently invited to go speak in Bogota, Colombia, too. And so, you know, before this podcast is over, I just want to put it out there, the idea that we have to start thinking about international equity and what does it mean to give back to the Latin American countries that were by the war on drugs in a national context? And what does equity in a country to country way really mean? It's really like an individual justice sense. Right, it's a very different thing. We started thinking yeah. about the US government and the damage that the government did to Colombia, to Nicaragua, to Mexico. Like, yeah, bro. It's a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we got to, have to grapple with that and have to, you know, have national meetings, policy. And maybe someday we'll draft a treaty that can be between two countries for the creation and export of cannabis two countries right and so we actually saw ghana made a deal with germany recently to export a tremendous amount of cannabis and so the cannabis nice. industry is so beyond just the united states as as complicated and as the united states is world is a big place and yeah. they all all china russia all of them
0: and we, yeah we'd be, <laughs> we be growing Rich. bomb outdoors in oregon man. Uh-huh. retributions yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it
1: gets it gets you know the scale of the conversation gets awesome in all the best and complicated ways right and so that's where we you know we have to think about how does the un talk about drugs right and what kind yeah. of community oh, we're going to yeah. give
0: you know i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah there's a lot there and so we need everybody involved to help figure it out
0: word word okay so i man i didn't need very many of these cookie cutter questions we kind of <laughs> talked about that already like the trans negative and, um i, w- I want to go to my last three i know it's late out there it's got to be what midnight out there now damn
2: yeah we'll pass yeah. midnight
0: all right well like, i got <laughs> three <word> more <laughs> i got three more questions and then we can't do man well, dude, <laughs> Will's out there too, and I, I can tell Will gets tired towards the end. Uh, no, I'm good tonight. I, 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 I admit yeah. I was a
2: little tired on the last one.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, my my next cookie cutter question is: What are some of your goals in your current position? Wow. Um.
1: Well, so
0: like I, usually I, I this probably... pertains to to business guys, but it's it's different with you, so. You know, yeah. Right, right. Personally. Yeah, so I'll say,
1: you know, the, the short version is to get a conservation manufacturer like San Rico. That's the short version, right? And so that is 100%. Like, I make no uh, apologies for that whatsoever. Like, that's the goal. But beyond that, I do think that the equity movement is in a very particular place, both nationally and internationally right now, that, like, we can't drop the ball because the, the federal level... Laws are being made. The banking bill is looking like it's going to get included, basically, in the most recent budget. And so, we have to figure out how we're going to out both community investment and business opportunities at the federal and international level. And so, for me, I'd like to MCBA be able to grow our capacity uh, to have people in all these places. And so, right now, we're in all here mostly. That we have time staff members but mostly volunteer and so for me it's being able to bring on executive directors the communications directors blah, that we actually back because the the, there's some really awesome opportunities so like the press very much loves the conversation and likes to highlight our work Um, there's a number of professional athletes and musicians different that are definitely in line with our mission and values And so there's a lot of opportunity for us out there to do it. me, I'd like to see us tap into that to the point where, you know, maybe we can help um, craft uh, the legalization law that happens at the national level. And what does that look like? And so um, I think for me, the next big goal is going to be to have a Latino summit, actually. So specifically, while there are lots of different people of color in the cannabis industry, a lot of the owners are African. And so there's not as many Latinos specifically. Uh, And so I feel like that space hasn't been explored to support directly. And I want to help make that happen. And so I think that's why going to PR is going to be a big help for that. But, you know, like California, Texas, you know, a lot of the South, Mexico, as you start to look internationally, uh, there's going to need a lot of Spanish language help uh, in what we're doing. So for me, I'd like to see some kind of big Latino-specific focus summit happen in the United States in the next year or so. Uh, and I think that would go a long way to bringing those communities on board. And a lot of times now, the faith-based Latinos are the strongest option. I agree. are one of the strongest. I agree. The, the, yeah.
0: the aunties and grandmas of my SA homies really don't like us smoking weed <laughs> even in the backyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, we're in the, fucking and the thing backyard, is they're very you know? vocal about it too.
1: So, so like they so when I was organizing, I would always get outnumbered by the old Puerto Ricans. Like yeah. it was like, you know, they were effective. <laughs> I will give it to them. And they have their churches and their little groups and they, you know, do their thing and they have a good time with it. And I you know, respect the hustle, right? Like, hey, hey, that's what you believe. I get it, you know? I'm not mad yeah. at you about it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the grandmas, I'll hustle the stoners nine times out of ten. And that's, uh, you know, the stoners are getting a bit better at it now <laughs> yeah. than
0: we were before.
1: And so we're a little more effective, but they got numbers and a lot of time in their hands <laughs> and can make
0: yeah.
1: balls more than we will. And we are managing that, like retirees, are not with us but that is why so like nelson guerrero of the cannabis culture association uh, which you all should check out the cannabis culture association he did great work but he did a video where he introduced his grandfather to cannabis helped with a number of ailments and and uh, documented that experience so bringing on our abuelos y abuelitas you know is going to be important to uh, uh getting us finally over the hill where not only can we just legalize but we can get their support to do it the right way uh, and make sure our communities, because they are very concerned about the neighborhood, right? The local community, as am I, when it comes to who's going to own it. They don't want to see big tobacco, big alcohol. But they see, do, I right? Like I don't want to see that either. And so we have to figure out a way to communicate those shared concerns and shared values into policy uh, in a way that makes everybody happy. And I think we can, because it is the same concerns. We don't want to see the big corporations come in and take us out getting children or anything like that or just economically pushing people so uh I it's agree. gonna be up to us the young people to explain it in a way that the generation
0: uh mom come and, around yeah mom and pop's gotta eat still man and that's yeah, not yeah. that's not really the way it's going in oregon mom and pops are crumbling you know because they can't last the, the two or three years until it's federally legal and they can export like they're sitting on a hundred packs right now and can't <laughs> sell it to the stores because right like each pack they might have spent two fifty three fifty to produce but stores are only buying it for five hundred you know mm-hmm. and, it, mm-hmm. and it's from last year or two years ago so it's like, right and you start having to oil
1: oh, oh. yeah yeah exactly. well,
0: well, yeah man it's it's a bummer um Uh there's i i don't want to tell my friend's story because i want him to come on the podcast in the future but (laughs) i had a buddy who i was really inspired by he went and bought some property in vernonia and i didn't see him for like a year and i saw him at a party like a cannabis harvest party and Uh. what's up in vernonia i was excited (laughs) he was like you see all this free swag, all the stickers and stuff. I don't want to say the company or anything. And I was like, yeah. yeah. He's like, he's like, that's me. I'm like, oh, that's your company. He's like, nah, I work for those guys. Uh, and I uh. was like, what? And he's like, dude, they have seven million dollars. He's like, I, I probably had like one fifty, one seventy five, <laughs> you know, to work with. He's yeah, like, yeah, I, I can't compete with that. And he's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and and then the regulations changed to where. Mm-hmm um you could only have 48 plants per medical grow and then they changed a year later to where if you had more than 12 plants you had to get the seed to sale tracking system market uses so it just like Mm -hmm. everybody like dude that's what made me just flake out i'm like i in, in in addition to using the seed to sale tracking system medical growers could only sell 20 pounds to the to the rec dispensaries so it's like hmm. we we get to use your tracking system but we can only sell this many like how are we gonna feed our our business right right off of 20 pounds in a year dude like we can't live in a off year that. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, dude. in one transaction yeah, no in, in a year bro in a year <laughs> in a year. So it's like, I, how are you going to you know like that's uh it's impossible to do and uh shout out to Mitchell. He said it's it's also a, another barrier to entry you know like uh-huh uh-huh
1: it is for sure you, you well know, and that's and, why i think like it's only really possible you're planning on also being like a super prominent active organizer act because the way the, how quickly the laws can change in a way that will destroy certain businesses is, like, lightning fast these days. Yeah. And so... And
0: it's every three months in Oregon, they would change. And that's <laughs> that's what the mom and pops said. That's why I could always get a job, because I could read uh-huh. the 80 pages in a weekend uh-huh. and say, yo, we got to change. Things. And they're like, why? I'm like, uh-huh. it's right here. This is why. And they're like, wow, you're really smart. And I'm like, man, I like to read a lot, but I, I want to win at this game, so I want you guys to do you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, you know, it would just
1: uh. Yeah, I mean, my every, like was li-
0: lightning, lightning fast is right, Jason. Every three months, new, new uh-huh. come out. Your packaging has to be different now. Now you have to put this on the label. Now you have to put this on the label. Now you can only sell this much to a red customer. Now you can uh-huh. sell this uh-huh. much to it. you know, like dude, like that's it's very difficult to adapt to that as a business. If you're investing money into every change, the Mm -hmm. the money that you invested into packaging to be compliant three months ago might not be compliant three months from now. So you just waste 20,000 bucks, you know? Yep. And your product cycles that
1: are pretty long, right? It takes a while from tea to chocolate bar. So yeah man it's a mess <laughs> that's all there is to it it's all over the place and we've got to keep advocating to you know keep those barriers low uh but it's been an uphill battle to say the yeah. least
0: okay so TV we got a chocolate bar yeah, yeah. See? we got a we got a question from uh jesse on production he says what's the main reason for the speed of all the rule changes i feel like it's it's by design to get the mom and pops out so that big can come in.
1: I mean, I think there's a lot going on. Like there's people who are making so they have to change them. And so if you rush through it in the beginning and you put uh, arbitrary numbers on different things, you will often have to change it later. And so I think that's part of it. It's just that people have a lot of interest groups for what they want and will tell them to write different things and have unintended consequences and so i think that's part of it but part of it is you know as with any industry people will try to use their influence and money to legislate an advantage for themselves and they're not shy about it (laughs) and so it will go on forever like that the big companies will always use their money to try to make it hard to compete with them and that's just part of doing business in the united states it's just you know part of being in a capitalist world you know capitalism favors those that have a lot of capital
0: yep i agree man that's the biggest barrier to entry for me like, <laughs> well, of all I'm,
1: time man well because <laughs> I,
0: I, could, I could afford the license you know it was only five thousand bucks to get the rec license mm-hmm. but it's like other requirements for can you had to have on payroll because it's like i could work for free for a year and it's just going to be me doing the work anyway so and even that it didn't, it didn't matter you have to have payroll you have to have all of this stuff too so it's like man, uh-huh. I, can't, I can't afford that without an investor <laughs> yeah those ex- excluded license fees
2: too even you know they predate legalization you know it's like uh-huh. some boards coming on or some states coming on board with uh you know even just the medical program like Washington DC you can't even uh, you know no one licensed unless you had 600,000 bucks mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and you know it's like um same with Hawaii you know you had to have a million bucks for the yeah. for medical out there and um extensive um application you know they have like an extensive application process and just a, a process that like we were talking about earlier really favors the privilege, you
1: know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. 100%. Okay. So I got two more cookie cutter questions, Jason. I know it's getting late. Um, what, what what sort of ideas or concepts would you like to promote in the future? Uh, people drafting
1: their own laws. That's the number one thing I think that I would like to promote and what I try to promote is you don't have to be a lawyer to do it, but write it how you want it and talk about that. Uh, arguing about no, we're against this. If it doesn't have this thing, then we have to kill this. You know, it, 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 I mean, it's part of the conversation, but ultimately if you don't have a better system to suggest, you're going to lose the argument. And that's where we have to be at as a community. Like what does community centered cannabis legalization look like and get a group of people together to draft it and bring it to a city council or a state or a legislator and talk about it. Um, I think that's the number one thing. Um but also community, you know the
0: community centered cannabis legislation. That's
1: right. That means- Absolutely. I I, the community,
0: it, right? I, like- I just that was the, that was what I was that's <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're
1: looking for examples go to minoritycannabis.org, check out the videos of how we did it. We're all about that. But I think you know, the more people we have writing the wrong laws and having sharing them right like when you're advocating for your policy share them and tag yeah. local officials and ask them hey what do you think of this policy um i think another thing that you can always do is if you're not sure how to like where to get started so look at other cities and other states that have legalization i just right so yeah. if you look at oakland california's equity program um if you look at massachusetts and what they've done you know you could look in denver and colorado uh there's examples out there so you know Give it a shot. Get some people together, roll a couple of big ones up, and you know, dig into the policy like a bunch of data nerds that we are, uh, and come up with some better policies. Right? Like all you're doing is looking at, I mean, how can we make this better? How can we make this more inclusive? How can we lower the barriers to entry? Uh, and are there any vulnerabilities that are not being protected when we normally draft these? <laughs> and so, folks that live in public housing. Uh, environmental concerns right like whatever is important to you make it an issue and it may get addressed when folks start talking about legalization in a in a more uh, legislative way we're talking specific policies but there will always be some champion out there on this like legalization is a popular issue and so finding your champion i think is the next uh, recommendation i would say is whatever city council you have whatever state representatives you have, find somebody that has really developed a relationship with them in a way that they can introduce your bills for you. Um, and so you're operating from a position of real political power. Um, and so once you decide what you want, right? So the crafting of public policy is really answering the question of what do we want? And that is a, a simple question stated that is a very complicated question to answer with we are we talking wants versus needs who decides who we are are we including everybody everybody or just a particular group of everybody um and so that's a very complicated process but that's what the policy summits of the cva try to answer right try to get a on that answer the question what we want but then once you figure that out you gotta have somebody actually introduce that into law uh and so you gotta find a champion and so you can Bring up the issue. Go speak at, you know, your city council for, like, public comment. Just about every city council has some amount of public comment time. Uh, and I would start there. And then, you know, once you got yourself a champion and you know what you want, call up MCBA and we'll see how we can help.
0: Hell yeah, dude. Very cool. So, I, I guess minoritycannabis.org, but can you also mm. plug your social media or any other websites that you're trying to promote? Anything, Puerto Rico, whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> is, is sure, I mean, best? so minoritycannabis.org. Up,
1: yeah, so minoritycannabis.org. There's uh, a number of great other organizations. If there are women of color out there, Supernova Women in uh, the Bay Area, California is pretty fantastic. I would also encourage everyone to follow Shalene Title, who's a Cannabis Commissioner of Massachusetts was a former board member of MCBA who does fantastic work explaining to the public why equity is important. So I would definitely tell folks to follow her. She does a lot of you know, Instagram live.
0: Say Chalene her name one Title. Can you spell it?
1: So it's S-H-A-L-E-E-N-T, and then Title, T-I-T-L-E. Okay,
0: cool
1: and so you know and Shalene, and there's also chanel massachusetts who's on the advisory committee um, but i would follow both of them because they have very concrete policy recommendations and i mean very concrete and that'll get you acquainted with the, some of the bigger concerns and so you can find them both on facebook um yeah so figure out what you want and then you get it you know, <laughs> and that's basically the game plan
0: awesome well Jason, we really appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was, uh, we, we were tripping out on how we were going to, you know, it's supposed to be about regulation. I'm like, I don't think anybody <laughs> from OLCC or AZDHS is really going to call me back, you know. And, and a, a couple of guys did, but they're just like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. You know, <laughs> just and so, Yeah. And so it was just like. And so uh, Mitchell, his, his girlfriend, had uh, somebody who was writing their um, dissertation or whatever mm. on the, the uh, environmental I- impacts, you know, for outdoor. Bills yep. And everything. Yep. Like, it's a whole
1: problem. Cool. Cannabis plants yeah, so, a
0: lot of water. Yeah. So we're going to have exactly. her on a separate episode, but. We were able to book you for this episode, and you. Why not, man? Well, I appreciate some...
1: y'all putting the good word out there and getting people involved, and
0: yeah, you know, Shout we out. need as much as we can get. Shout out to Cody Riggers, man. Woo woo! Okay. on this, yeah. To school with yeah, man. So, uh, it it just you really killed it, bro. Everything I hope for, everything I hope for, and more. <laughs> Re- trying really to make policy a little
1: more interesting than just, you know, words on a page. <laughs> no
0: doubt, man. We appreciate it a lot. Um, hopefully we can um, have you on the podcast again in the future sure, and, and, sure. and do a follow-up interview.
1: Hopefully Absolutely. you can I vibe. And I'd like to have a conversation one of these days about policy, specifically when it becomes to Native American land. Because yeah. I, I'm not super well versed in it, and it's a few times, and so I need to understand tribal law better. But Next podcast, we should do that one.
0: I'm down, dude. I'll, I'll send you some links <laughs> to read right. about, too. I, yeah, I worked, yeah, man. I worked for a native uh, dispensary owner in Portland. Mm. He's from my tribe, too. Jackson McCormick, he's a native business owner. natural Wow. Workers. That's how I met Will. So, ah, uh, yeah. Nice. It's, uh, yeah, we well, hit, hit like, us up
1: with MCBA. Let us know how we can help them out, man.
0: Like, we yeah. love to highlight
1: folks that are doing good stuff all around the country.
0: Dude, I will totally do that yeah. right now, and he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna back up sometime this month, man. Like in a week or two, I think. So.
1: Oh wow! Nice. All awesome. right.
0: Sweet. I will. Yeah, I will bug him and call him and tell him to hit up the website.
1: Yeah, man, for sure, because we can have, get him some press. <laughs> yeah,
0: content is good, man. Shine is good, especially right now, man. Color can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, got, that we gotta.
1: We gotta. We gotta work
0: together. Yeah, man. Sorry, man. Thank you on. for
1: having me. It was a pleasure, and I'm happy to come back on. All
0: right, dude. Have a good rest of your night, man. All right. I will. Thanks, Jason. Peace, y'all. Yeah. Talk soon. Bye. Yep. All right. Is there anything you want to add at the end for the outro? Will like? Do you have anything to add? Like, I, I thought he was. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> he was an awesome guest, dude. I'm glad Yeah, that was show. that was great. All right, folks, so I'm going to go ahead and do my outro dance. This was the seventh episode of Concerned Dab's podcast, talking about regulation with Jason Ortiz from the Minority Cannabis Business Association. I have been your host, KDM Kane. With me was my co-host, Will Terps. I got to give a shout out to my guys in production, Mitchell Wilson and Jesse Curry. This has been a main note and Joseph Street Enterprise Productions.